All right, how's everybody tonight? Uh, who did what? Fabulous. That, I'm not used to getting fabulous on Wednesday night. That's good. Isn't it a beautiful day? God's good. We have an opportunity tonight to, to do practically what Jesus Christ asked us to do, or what he, what he laid out, I think, in the wilderness when the devil came to him to tempt him. He said to Jesus, you can turn these stones into bread. And Jesus answered and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's where we find ourselves tonight. The book of Leviticus, chapter 19. Every chapter begins the same way. How does it begin? And God said to Moses, laying out for us the very words of God. So as we take a look, remember as we've been going through the book of Leviticus... Leviticus has given, really been driving home a certain theme. And that theme is that God is calling us, you and I, to be holy. To be holy. And that theme holds true all the way through the New Testament. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, we see the same thing. Peter saying, be ye holy as I am holy. That's what God is calling us to. What does that mean? To be separated from the world and unto God. To be separated from the old life. And separated to the new life. And so as we go through Leviticus, he's laying that out. And as we come to chapter 19, he's going to give us almost a, a commentary on the Ten Commandments. In fact, in chapter 19, he's going to give us some insight into each of the Ten Commandments. As he delves a little bit deeper, we know Jesus does the same thing as we study the book of Matthew. And he expounds on it further. So as we take a look at Leviticus 19, we'll see. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, verse 2, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So he begins chapter 19 with that call. Call to holiness. A call to step out of the old and into the new. Keep in mind, the children of Israel are getting ready to enter into the promised land. And as they go into the promised land, the Lord doesn't want them to make the same mistakes, fall into the same snares as the people that went before them, those who are currently in the land. So as we look at chapter 19, and especially in chapter 20, as we continue on, he's going to emphasize those areas where the people, the Canaanite people, the people that are in the land currently, their struggles And he's going to lay out for him. You need to keep yourself away from this. You need to keep yourself away from that. Why does he tell us that? Well, we discovered, didn't we? That that which is unclean will make the clean dirty. We saw it in in practical living. If we have a child with a contagious disease, a child with measles, you don't take a child without measles and have them stand next to them and think that's going to make them better. What happens? They both end up with measles. The Lord is saying the same thing for his people. Hey, if you hang out at the same places, do the same things, get involved in the same kind of activities, you're going to do exactly what they're doing. Now, what does history tell us happened? History tells us that's what they did. They went into the promised land and they started all gung-ho, right? They started all gung-ho, but pretty soon they got satisfied with how much of the Lord they were experienced. They got satisfied with what of God they had. And they stopped. And if we stop moving forward, folks, we fall behind. That's how it works. The danger of drifting. Hebrews talks about it. Hey, if you're just going to coast, the next thing you know is you're, you're caught up with all those people that you went by when you were so excited to follow the Lord and seek after Him with your whole heart. So the children of Israel begin to make compromises. They begin to think, well, you know, what's the big deal? So we we leave these people worship the gods that they're worshiping, even in our cities, even in our towns. We open up opportunities. Hey, they're buying our crops. They're they're folks that we can sell the stuff to. So it's kind of working out. But the next thing you know, you come to the book of Judges in the darkest period of Israel's history, right after they got to the promised land. They come to the promised land filled with all these promises of God, a blessing. And they're going to spend, oh, a couple of hundred years in the book of Judges just kind of being run over from the right and the left while they try to make up their mind 
Do I want to be in the old ways? Do I want to be just like everyone else? Or do I want to step out of the old and into the new? Even when they came in the current history, while Samuel, as Samuel was, was leading the people, what did they say to him? They said, we want a king like everybody else. God said, step away, set yourself apart. I'll be your king. When, when Samuel was frustrated or upset by that, the Lord said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king. Where does all that start? In the book of Leviticus. The Lord laying out for them, hey, stay away from these snares. Stay away from these traps. Understand that holiness, it doesn't begin at the temple. It doesn't begin in the tabernacle. Holiness, he shows us right here, starts at home. Doesn't it? The first thing he said, Be ye holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And what's the very next verse tell us? He says, Now, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. First place he goes. Speaking of being holy, reverence for father and mother. You'll notice that the scripture doesn't indicate whether or not they are worthy of reverence. He just calls for reverence. He just calls you to respect. He calls you to honor. To honor your father and your mother. Why? Because if for no other reason, they gave you life. Were they the best example? Maybe not. Maybe you had horrible parents. Doesn't make any difference. The first step to holiness, not being like everybody else, stepping out of the old life and into the new, is making that decision. I'm going to honor God's word. And I'll give honor to my parents. I'll give honor, reverence unto them. Despite and, and irregardless to what's going on with them, this call to holiness begins at home. And then he says, and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. He calls them to keep his Sabbath. Now, we know the Sabbath was Saturday. So many people get wrapped up on that. Folks, Saturday was not the only Sabbath. Every high holy day was a Sabbath. If that happened on a Wednesday, that was a Sabbath day. The Lord had set apart days, feasts that were to be observed by the children of Israel. And he set aside the Sabbath so that we would realize mankind, Jesus said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? He's saying we need one day in seven. I made you. That's the way you're created. Can I run seven days? Just go for it. Sure you can. Knock yourself out. The United States full of people like that. All burned out, fried on both sides. Because, you know, I don't really need to pay any attention to God's word. Well, listen, he wants one day in seven. Now, we know in the New Testament, Paul said, don't let anybody judge you according to feast days or Sabbaths or new moons. He said one guy establishes one day as holier than another. Another guy establishes a different day. Let each be fully convinced in his own eyes. What's the Lord saying? He set aside that day a week to me. Doesn't make any difference what day it is for you and I. Does it matter for the nation of Israel? Sure it does. God said, I set this as an everlasting covenant between me and you. And still today, you go to Israel and they honor the Sabbath. They get a little crazy. They take God's word to extremes because they're the ones who decide what work is. We've talked about this before. So if you get into a hotel on the Sabbath and you're not paying attention and you get into the Jewish elevator and not the Gentile elevator... Uh, because the Sabbath day requires no work, and pushing the button in the elevator would be construed as work, that elevator stops at every single floor automatically. So, Lord help you if you're on the top. But it's a neat opportunity to get to spend some time with folks and, and to be able to share the, the truth of God's Word with them. So you can always look at the bright side, right? But this is what the Lord is saying. You want to be different. Did the rest of the people have this? No. They didn't. It was God's call 
for his people to be separate from them. Don't want you to look like them. Don't want you to talk like them. Don't want you to be the spitting image of who they are. I want you to be completely different. So when people look at you, they can see something is not the same. They're not the same as me. There's something else going on there. Something that would set them apart. He goes on. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourself molded gods. I am the Lord your God. Now we know the Ten Commandments. He said, thou shalt make for yourselves no graven image. Now the children of Israel were called not to make any molded idols, no gods. But folks, 800 years from this word, they're going to be in captivity in Babylon because of idolatry, because of idol worship. But that same word is for you and I. No molded image. Not even with that little HD, Harley Davidson on the side. No molded images. None of those things that take our focal point away from the Lord. And it could be a number of things. It could be a number of things. It could be, it could be animals, house, vehicles. It could be anything. The Lord says... Hey, don't do that. Be separate from the old, set apart unto the new. And he says, Then if you offer a sacrifice of the peace offering to the Lord, you will offer it of your own free will. Well, we knew that, right? The peace offering is a free will offering. No one had to give the peace offering. That's why God said it's an offering of a sweet-smelling aroma. Because it was given because you desired to give it. You desired to commune with God. To have a meal with him, in essence, is what the peace offering was all about. But listen, it shall be eaten the same day you offer it on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned with fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Well, here there's a a couple of things that the Lord is saying. There's a couple of things that the Lord is laying out for us. First off, he's saying, don't just spend your time nibbling on my word. Don't just spend your time nibbling on what I have to say. You just take a little nibble here, a little nibble there, a little nibble there, and you just think you're going to take these little nibbles all the way up into the time. The Lord wants you to devour it all. He wants you to have a meal. He said when that offering, that free will offering given of your own free will was up, that you sat down, knife and fork, and you ate. And whatever was left, you ate the second day. But the third day, it was over. So if you wanted more, another sacrifice. Another opportunity to come before the Lord. What else does it mean? Listen, your offerings that you give are free will. But you don't give them how you want to give them. We come to the Lord His way. Not our own way. Isn't that another way that we can mold God into our own image? Well, you know, I kind of have the idea that God's like this and that He'll accept that and that all these things are going to be okay. Am I taking God and molding Him into an image that suits me and I'm bringing Him a free will offering, an offering of my time, an offering of communion. I want to spend time with God, but I only want to do it on my, my way. Instead of God's way. God says, you don't have to bring that offering at all. But if you do, you follow these statutes that I've given. This is how you do it. This is how it's done. How many ways is there to the Father? One. That way we don't get lost, right? One way. Through Jesus Christ, the Son. That's it. Well, you know, I've got my own ideas. You know, I think that if I'm a good person, that's going to work out pretty good for me. As I just try, I'll be a good person, and it's all going to... Folks, I've heard that, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of times from folks. Well, I just believe if you're good, it's going to be okay. Talk about just nibbling on God's Word. What happens if I spend any time in God's Word? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Prior to that, in chapter 3, he said, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside and together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. But I'm just going to be good. I figure if I'm good enough, then it's all going to work out in the end. What does God's word teach? God's word teaches us that, that our best is as filthy rags. And that's a pretty graphic term. That's literally filthy menstrual cloths. That that is how our righteousness is. But what happened? Jesus Christ, according to 2 Corinthians, became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. It's a free gift given by God, received by faith, and through grace, I am saved. Based on what God has done. Do I get to decide how that works? No, it's God's way. Do I have to come to him? No, but if I come, I come his way. I come his way. He's God. He lays out for us that way in which he will receive us. That way in which we may find eternal life, where we may find salvation. And just turn a couple pages over from Romans chapter 3 to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, he tells us, verses 3 and 4, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. But how? According to the Spirit. Well, how do I walk according to the Spirit? Is that a list of do's and don'ts? No, it's not. How do I walk according to the Spirit? The the Scripture lays out for me that I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in my heart, God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life that moment. And now I can walk by the Spirit. Prior to that, my spirit was dead. I had no spirit. The natural man cannot discern the words of God. Only the spiritual man, for they are spiritually discerned. So my spirit comes to life within me. And now the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in me because the Holy Spirit has done that work, baptizing me into the body of Christ. I'm baptized into the body of Christ. I'm saved. And now through no work of my own other than faith, putting my trust in him, through no work of my own, I am made righteous because of what Jesus did for me. Now, a lot of people got a lot of different ideas. Where do we we see the doctrine of salvation? We see it in God's Word. And so the Lord says, don't just nibble. Don't just spend all your time reading those fun books. Hey, folks, I'd be happy to teach the Gospel of John and Revelation every week. I like those. I could even throw in a spattering of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, here and there. Stay really focused in the New Testament. But what does God's word say? Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, what Bible, by the way, did Paul have? He had the Old Testament scriptures. And so that's where he taught the church. That's where he laid those things out so that we can see these concepts beginning in the book of Leviticus, in the Pentateuch, in the first five books, through the prophets, by the word of the prophets, we can see God's hand moving and directing his people. Now back in Leviticus, in verse 8, he says, Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Cut off. The, the Hebrew word uh, is karat. And it has two meanings. And unfortunately, those two meanings are not going to clear it up any further for us. It can mean cut off and removed from among the people. 
like you were sent outside of the camp until you made right through restitution or sacrifice for your sin, or it can mean put to death. So, God is definitely making a distinction. A distinction. He wants His people to realize how important it is. How many souls, how many people were lost because they didn't think it was that important of a deal? And they got mixed up in idolatry and they start offering their children on, on the offering, sacrificing the Molech, and they start doing all these crazy things. How many souls were lost because they didn't pay attention to God's Word? So God says this is important. It's important. It's not a little thing. It's important. Something that we want to understand. He says, now when you reap the harvest of your land, in verse 9, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You will leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. God's welfare plan. That's the only welfare plan he had. When you went into the field, you didn't harvest in the corners. He left them for the poor. If the poor came and gleaned, they would have as much as they were willing to get. What did the Bible say? If you will not work, what? You will not eat. It wasn't a hand out. It's a hand up. We could learn something from that in this nation. Now, folks, please understand, God had a plan for those who were not able to work. And they were cared for. But those who were able, but just needed a break, needed an opportunity, they could get an opportunity this way because they could go to whatever field, at whatever time, as long as they were willing to get up and willing to go and gather for that day their daily bread. As much as they could carry. We read about it in the book of Ruth, don't we? Ruth goes out gleaning in the field. That's how she meets Boaz, the, her Prince Charming, who takes her away from all that, and they live happily ever after. No, Hollywood didn't invent it. The Bible did. It's all there. So we can see that it was all about God's design in welfare. So he wanted the people to understand, hey, <coughs> who is the Lord of the harvest? Is it that guy who's just working the field and it's, the work of his hands, because that's what Nebuchadnezzar would say. Nebuchadnezzar would walk outside of his kingdom one day and throw up his arms and say, look at this Babylon which I have built. And what did God say? Eh. No, Nebuchadnezzar, I gave it to you. I gave it to you. The same way here, God is saying, hey, I'm the Lord of the harvest. You set aside this for the poor. Does God care for the poor? Well, sure he does. Sure he does. The Lord says he is the defender of the poor, the defender of the widow, the defender of the orphan. He is. He watches out for their cause. You read the book of Ezekiel, and you'll discover the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, though emphasized through homosexuality, began as they had a lot and they didn't care about the poor. Lord said, here's my problem with, with Sodom and her sister Gomorrah. She had fullness of food, idleness of time, and she did not care for the poor. She had all this stuff, but it was all about herself. And the Lord said, I'm the defender of the poor, the widow, the orphan. Now the scripture goes on to call us as we continue. He says, now... Not only, in, in verse 10, he says, and, and you shall not glean your vineyard. Again, you will leave that for the poor and the stranger. Any foreigner that came, they were to be hospitable toward them. The Lord was very emphatic about the alien. He said, you take care because you were once strangers in a strange land. And he said, so you be hospitable to them. You help. Still today, folks, you go to the Middle East, there's no place that, are, that is as hospitable as them. No place I've ever been. Where they'll bring you in, they'll feed you, they'll, they're, they're a very hospitable people. Not, not all of them, the ones who want to shoot you, are less hospitable. <laughs> but that's not everybody that's over there. 
That's not every Palestinian. It's just those ones that, that are, are making the most, most racket. But the people, just the basic people, the people, they're good and hospitable people. Well, the scripture goes on now in verse 11. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Again, you see, he's building on the concept of the Ten Commandments. He wants his people to understand, hey, I want you, and and emphatically, the way the language of this verse is built, it's tied to those prior. So he's talking specifically in regard to the poor. Don't rob from them. Don't steal from them. Don't lie to them. Don't cheat them. Don't take advantage of them. This is what the Lord is laying out. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Profane literally means to make common. To make common. Here in the States, we use the term God as though that was the Lord's name. That's not what he's talking about here. The name of God is lost. The, the tradition in Israel is the high priest on his deathbed would whisper the name of God to the next high priest. And on Yom Kippur, one day a year when they offered the sacrifice in the Holy of Holies, when he went in and spread the blood, he would whisper the name of God. That's the one day when it was said. The Yahweh, we don't know, Y-H. VH, four consonants, no vowels. The impronounceable name of God. But the Lord says the concept doesn't matter what, what your name of. He says, don't use me to swear too falsely. Don't use me as though, you know, all of us growing up at one time or another as kids probably used that same phrase. Well, I swear to God. No, really, I swear. God says, don't do that. And if you do it, you better not be false. Be true. You keep the vows that you make to one another. He's saying here, listen, don't do this. Don't make God's name a common thing. Like it's not holy. That word common is in juxtaposition to holiness. Common is just like everybody else. Holiness is what? Set apart, set unto. Apart, away from the old and unto the new. So that was the attitude toward God. I remember being in construction field. We built substations for the power company in California, Edison. We'd go out and we'd build these substations. And they would set a marker in the middle of the substation. And they would call that marker God. And everything in the substation was measured from that. That he was that stake was the rule. And everybody would call that stake God. Now, I wasn't walking with the Lord, so it didn't bother me. But I remember a guy that was a Christian who says, I'm not calling that stupid stake God. I'm not doing it. I'm going to call it the stupid stake, but that's not God. There's one God, and that stake's not him. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's, why you make such a big deal about it? Whatever. Call it whatever you want to. It doesn't make any difference. But you see, he made a distinction. I'm not just like everybody else. And I'm not okay. It's not okay. And that's really taking to heart what God's saying in Leviticus. Be holy. Be holy. People should be able to look at us and see a difference, a distinction. And it's not based on on how we look or how we dress or, or any of those things. It's just by the things that we do and allow in our lives should set us apart unto the Lord. Set us apart to him, not like everybody else. In verse 13, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until the morning. So in that culture, you got paid a day's work, a day's wage. A day's work, a day's wage. So what the Lord said, you don't hold on to somebody else's money you give them what they're owed. And that's, a, that's the concept that, that crosses over. You give what you owe. Pay your vows, the Lord said. Pay your vows unto the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 14. You will not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. But you will fear your God. 
I am the Lord. He says you're going to treat those who are handicapped, those who are affirmed, you're going to honor them. You're not going to mess with them. You're not going to tease them. You're not going to make fun of them. And he only gives one reason. I'm the Lord. You don't mess with them. And so the Lord lays out, this is different from everyone else. There's not a a group or society in history that didn't make a distinction between the affirmed or the handicapped. There have been those societies that made so much of a distinction that they sought to kill them all. They're weak. They're not part of the, the greater race. So let's just get rid of them. And that mindset, folks, that's not just Hitler's Germany. That mindset's in this country. That mindset works its way. I lose my papers every week. That mindset works its way all the way across the board in people's lives. What's the Lord say? Hey, you don't, you don't mess with the deaf. You don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. I am the Lord your God. You treat them the way God would have you treat them. Life is precious. All life, period. All life. I had some friends that had a, um, had a, a, a child that was severely handicapped, unable really to do anything. And a variety of people at different times would think, well, gosh, you know, I mean, was it even, is it even worth, you know, her life? I mean, all she is is, is awake and she's fed with, with tubes or by hands or she can't do anything for herself. Listen, God's word says all life is precious. All life. We don't get to make a distinction. Who makes the distinction? God does. As soon as you give man the ability to make the distinction, then who controls the distinction that he makes? You have good kings and bad kings. Good guys, bad guys. What are they going to do? They're going to do whatever they want to do. So there needs to be that understanding. All life before the Lord is precious. Verse 15, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall... Not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you will judge your neighbor. Well, we should send this to the judges. Don't you think? You should not, what did he say? You shall not be partial to the poor or honor the wealthy. You're supposed to be judged. Socrates said, four things belong to a judge. To hear courteously, to answer wisely, to consider soberly, and to decide impartially. Impartial decisions. But Shakespeare would write, Heaven is above all yet, and there sits a judge that no king can corrupt. Because judges are just like us. Jesus would tell the Pharisees, judge with a righteous judgment. But their judgment was based on their partiality. He lays out here in Leviticus, you don't judge with partiality. Doesn't matter where they come from, how they look, or what you think of them. All judgment should be a righteous judgment given with impartiality. Verse 16, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. You shall not go about, you know, thou shalt not gossip. That's the closest you can come. You know that as you go through the book of Proverbs, God calls on the one who hears the tale is as guilty as the one who gave it. Sometimes we sit and listen and, and we just think that's easier. But Lord calls us to put the fire out. There can be no fire if there's not a willing ear, a willing participant to receive. One of the tricks that, that I have learned in the past to help me for doing that is when someone begins to talk about somebody like that, let's pray for him. That puts the kibosh on it right now. Let's pray for him. Okay. Let's pray for him. Scripture lays out, not to be a talebearer. He goes on, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Take no stand against the life of your neighbor. He's going to build on that idea. Here he goes. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. 
What's he laying out for us? If you have a problem, you take it to your brother. You take it to your neighbor. You don't gather up for yourself all those people who agree like you agree and then go get a rope. That's not how it's done. How is it done? If I've got a problem with my neighbor, I'm to go talk with my neighbor. I am to seek peace with all men. And that's what the Lord's laying out here in Leviticus, to seek peace. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you will love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? What is the greatest commandment Jesus was asked? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there it is. You love your neighbor as yourself. That you're focused on the Lord God, obeying Him. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He requires us to trust Him. And not take matters into our own hands. That's hard, isn't it? Sure it is. Because we think we can tell something that's right or wrong. But we don't have the ability to see the same way God does. So we have to trust Him. We have to trust that the Lord God knows what He's doing. And love your neighbor as yourself. You will keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed. Nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Now, is this all because mixed linen and wool is a bad thing? Is it because God knew that polyester was coming and he didn't want his people wearing that kind of stuff? Is that what it was all about? He didn't want one group or one, one crop mixed with another? What is this all for? Listen. The whole thing is talking about compromise, mixed marriage, mixing in, mixing a little bit of the world with a little bit of the righteous and coming out with lukewarmness, right? What does God call us to be, hot or cold? What does he not want us to be? Lukewarm, lukewarm. That is that which the Lord says I would spew out of my mouth. When he's talking about mixed fabrics, when he's talking about all this concept of of mixing things, listen, he wants us to realize, I don't want you to mingle error with the truth. I don't want compromise. No compromise. If you're going to walk with me, walk with me. If you're going to be my children, be my children. Don't be a little bit mine and a little bit theirs. Don't try to walk on both sides of the fence Because you have made a choice. He wants us to be fully and utterly committed unto him. And that's what he's laying out as we take a look at this. He doesn't want them to mix. Pergamos, one of the seven letters to the seven churches. What did it mean? Mixed marriage. Speaks of that church age or that period of church time when the church married itself to the world. You know that happened, right? Yeah, and no, we're not immune. The effects of that are still in the church today. The same old pagan holidays and rituals that we don't really understand all came from that period of time. Bunnies and eggs, we're getting ready to get to that point. Came from the worship of Ishtar. Easter, do we know when Jesus was crucified? Yeah, he was crucified at Passover time. Well, how come Easter's not on Passover? Because it's settled with the Feast of Ishtar. That's where the name came from. What does that mean if we celebrate Easter that we're all afoul? No. You know how I know? John chapter 8, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Is Hanukkah one of the feasts that the Lord gave the children of Israel? No. It was a tradition. They developed out of the Maccabean Wars. Hanukkah was born, and Jesus celebrated. It's known as the Feast of Lights. Jesus was there. Can we sanctify anything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? 
Can I sanctify the celebration of Easter? Sure I can. My house has got a tomb, an empty tomb, and the kids can look and see there's nobody. Jesus ain't there. Why? Because he's risen from the beginning. From the beginning. Do I let them eat chocolate eggs? Sure, they're good. (laughs) They don't even know what that has to do with anything, except that time of year they get chocolate eggs. What's the point? That's the day we're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's important that we realize that occurs from a compromise that took place hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. That is a part of celebrations that we have today. Christmas is the same way. Christmas is the same way. And many of the other holidays all throughout the year have their foundation in pagan feasts. Okay, that's where the foundation is. What is it today? That's not what it is. That's not what it is. Jesus Christ can redeem all things when we put all things to him. That it is about him and not about anything else. So as the Lord's laying this out, he's calling them, listen, don't mix, don't start adopting all these crazy things. You stay focused on me. You stay set apart to me. Set apart to me. Whoever, in verse 20, lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom for this there shall be scourging who is scourged both look what it says but they shall not be put to death because she was not free what was a concubine folks a concubine is a wife without rights at we, we, the view that the typical view of a concubine is not that far off, but, but the idea of a concubine was that there was a, a, a wedding, she was taken, <clears throat> she becomes, uh, in essence, a servant girl or a slave that is a <clears throat> wife without rights. A wife that, if, if the husband, if she has children, those kids aren't part of the inheritance. They're all servants. That was, the life of, of a concubine. And what's the Lord saying here? Is he trying to put a stamp of approval on that whole act of taking a concubine or not? No, he's saying, listen, if this happens, this is what you're going to do about it. Because this is the practice of his people. This is the practice that was going on at the time. The Lord doesn't, doesn't celebrate that practice. He tells them to treat slaves fairly. This shouldn't even be an, an issue But he wants them to understand something. And listen, you need to understand the point behind this law that he's laying out. In verse 21 he says, But he shall bring his trespass offering. What about hers? Who's responsible? He is. He's responsible. Who's beat? Both of them. Why? Because that act affected more than just you. And you needed to know, you needed to realize, you needed to understand that that act brought pain and hurt upon her just as it brought pain and hurt upon you. That there was this thing that was worked within the lives of two people and it caused pain and God wants people to understand, what does sin do? It destroys. Can I just play with it? Can I just play around with it? And, and it won't touch me. It won't affect me like everybody else. No, nobody gets out of that free and clear. Nobody. And the Lord's laying out for the man. You give a trespass offering. Why? She's a slave. God's assuming she didn't have a choice. So she's scourged. She still receives a beating, but the trespass offering is his. God wants him to see this, your responsibility. Your responsibility. As we go through Leviticus, you're going to see the Lord says, you sleep with a woman, you are responsible for her for life. We don't have that same concept in our world today. But the Lord 
put a heavy weight upon those things. In verse 22 it says, And the priest will make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be, what's it say? Forgiven him. You take, an, take advantage of a girl, it hurts her, just like it hurts you. But the trespass, in this case, the trespass belonged to him. Now when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, when you shall count their fruit, uh, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you, it shall not be eaten. So the first three years that they arrived, their, the fruit didn't belong to them. Don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit. I've shared with you before. Everybody wants to understand the whys and the wherefores. doesn't matter. God said, don't eat the fruit. Then don't eat the fruit. You don't have, there doesn't have to be an understanding for why. There, there doesn't have to be a reason behind it. There doesn't have to be an issue that says, well, if you, if you let the tree go to fruit for three years, and then the fourth year, all the fruit's going to go to the Lord, and the fifth year, it's all theirs. It's all for them. Well, when we look at it, when you see it, it's the way that the Lord God is laying it out for them. Listen, I want you to understand, three, three years, no fruit. But the fourth day, that, or the fourth year, the fruit goes to the Lord. All in the fourth year, all of its fruit will be holy, a praise to the Lord. So they're to celebrate the Lord on the fourth year. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. So God said, you do this, and you will have all the increase you need. But what's he saying? Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set yourself apart from the old ways. Me, 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 me. It's my tree. There's fruit on it now. It's mine. And God said, no. You just let that fruit be. Three years. The fourth year, give all your fruit to me. And the fifth year, I'm going to give you increase. Trust the Lord. What was the alternative? I want good crops. Molech says if I sacrifice my firstborn child, he'll give me good crops. So rather than giving him three years to let your fruit lie on a tree, the fourth year giving it to the Lord, and the fifth year trusting God for the increase, they killed their babies. Now which one sounds crazier? Three years, leave the fruit unto me. Holy unto God. The fourth year it's his, the fifth year it's yours. Verse 26, you shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Oh, man. Now, we could spend the next 30 minutes trying to justify tattoos, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Why? What's God saying? First off, he's talking about activities that are currently taking place in context, in Canaan, and the people that they're going to. And he's saying, I don't want you to cut your flesh for the dead because they had a cult called the dead cult or the death cult that would tattoo themselves, that would cut themselves, that would pierce themselves. And it's not all that much different from what guys are doing today. Not all that much different from what guys are doing today. Why do I think the Lord lays this out for us? I think there's a very good reason. Why? Because in a few years, probably not that many from our time, a fellow's going to come on scene. And he's going to say, you know, folks, I've got this plan. And all you need to do is just... Take this mark, and you're going to be able to buy and sell based on this mark. And everybody's going to say, what's the big deal? I got tattoos from my ear to my toes. What's one more mark? What's one more cut in the flesh? What's one more? So God says, don't mark yourselves at all. Don't mark yourselves at all. Why? Because if I don't mark myself at all, then on that day, I won't mark myself. 
What happens if I take the mark of the beast? Is there a, a, re, a reset button for that one? I made my choice. I made my choice. I think that's part of the reason why God says, don't tattoo yourself. Don't tattoo yourself. Now, do I believe that Leviticus chapter 19 is talking to you and I about whether or not a tattoo, a person can have a tattoo or not have a tattoo? No, I don't think it has anything to do with us. I think it has everything to do with them at that time, entering into the land of Canaan. That's context, right? That's, does it have a spiritual context to you and I? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. What did he say? Come out from among them. Come out from among them. Now, I have friends who are tattoo artists in California that tattooed from, their heads are tattooed, or inside their nose is tattooed, they might have inside their lip tattooed, I don't know. Knock themselves out, go crazy, whatever. All that means is, is someday maybe someone's going to use their hide for a lampshade or something, because it's all decorated. <laughs> you know, and, <clears throat> and I don't necessarily get it to that extreme, but at the same time, I was young once too, and I have tattoos. Is tattoo the unforgivable sin? No, it ain't. Is it something we ought to spend a lot of time arguing about? No, so I'm pretty much done talking about it. The point behind it is, hey, God's saying, don't mark yourself, because the time is coming when a mark is bad. So just don't do it. Just stay away from it. Just stay away from it, and it's all good. So, don't be like those other people in Canaan. Don't do the same things everybody else is doing, because everybody else is doing it. Set yourself apart unto me. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall in the harlot tree, and the land become full of wickedness. Don't prostitute your daughter. Well, in the pro, in the context that's what they did in canaan that's what they did when their daughters reached a certain age they gave them to the temple priests the temple priests made them prostitutes they served like a man would serve today his obligatory service in the military only they would serve their obligatory service as a temple priestess giving sex for that particular deity sold into prostitution by their family and god says don't do it don't do it don't be just like everybody else the sad thing is they did it folks they made all these compromises and it led to destruction he says you shall keep my sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary i am the lord and give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I'm the Lord your God. What's he saying? Stay away, period. Period. I always like that psychic friends network. Because that is the dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life. Do you know what happened to the psychic friends network? They went bankrupt. Guess they couldn't see that coming. Huh. Maybe not as psychic as they want to be. What's God's point? It's real. It's demonic. It's in opposition to Him. Stay away. Don't play with it. Don't dabble in it. Don't, don't. You know, I once heard of a guy who had a pet scorpion. What a good idea. Don't you think everybody should have a pet scorpion? They had a picture of him in the paper. With his lips as big as his head. He, I never seen it. Look, like he had elephantitis of the lips. They could have popped at any moment. How did his lips get all swollen? Well, he took his little scorpion and was talking, oh, no, so cute. And bap, it stung him right on the lips. He might have talked to the scorpion like that a hundred times, never got stung. But you keep playing with it, sooner or later. It's going to get you. That's the same way with playing around with all these compromises. Sooner or later, it's going to get you. So the Lord says, stay away. 
Listen to verse 32. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Should rise before the gray-headed. Yeah, John, I'm standing, brother. (laughs) That we should give honor to the elder. You know, our country, our nation is the first nation in history that has celebrated youth over old age. That they honor the youth and despise the old. That's why there's such a lack of wisdom in our culture today. Because they despise that wisdom. They despise that, that, that thing that us young people learn when we get older. They despise those things. What? How many millions of dollars are spent on plastic surgery to make you look like a freak? They look ridiculous. They look absolutely ridiculous. Can you tell someone who's had plastic surgery? Well, yeah, they look fake. It's the dumbest thing I heard of. I seen a guy talking, a plastic surgeon talking, and he, he looked like the Joker. And I was thinking, people hire you? Don't they look at you before they hire you? Did you do that to yourself? But why? Why? Because people want to be eternally young. We worship youth and we don't honor the, the aged. And God says that's not how it's supposed to be. You rise before the elderly. You rise before the gray hair. Some people have more gray than others. They get more... They get more rising. (laughs) And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you will not mistreat him. There ain't no way around that, folks. You don't mistreat him. I think it's kind of funny, and I understand a lot of the issues in regard to illegal immigration, but... Before there was legal immigration, that's how everybody got here. Through illegal immigration. Now, do I think our system's right? No, it ain't right. Do I think it needs fixed? Sure, it needs fixed. But what God say? Don't mistreat the alien. Don't mistreat him. Don't mistreat him. That there, there should be an, an attitude of, of help, hospitality hospitability is that a word (laughs) it is today don't you might not want to try that in scrabble somebody will pull out a if you can do that in scrabble i'd be pretty impressed by the way that's a lot of letters but anyhow you get the idea the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you and you will love him as yourself for you were strangers in the land of egypt I am the Lord your God. God was serious about it. God was serious about it. We all come from someplace, right? We all came from somewhere else, but once we get there, we're pretty much ready to say, that's enough. No more. No moss. It's funny, in in the town we were in, they had a moratorium that we lived in in California. They had a moratorium on building. Because there's only so much water in the town. And then the town went through this big growth spurt. And, and there was, they were given a lot of permits and more water uh, um, meters and stuff to, to folks. And people were going out picketing. People who just moved there. People who just got in based on the last time they opened the moratorium. And they're picketing and saying, no more people. <laughs> so it's a good thing the rest of us didn't picket when you were coming. The, the attitude is not, hey, this is all mine. What is that called? That's called selfishness. It's called selfishness. Folks, do you not believe that if we manage our resources and if we ran the country the way God lays out a country ought to be run, that there wouldn't be enough? There'd be enough. There'd be enough. You mean if the government wasn't paying farmers in Kansas to turn their farms into weed lots? Would there be enough food to feed the world? You think the world's got to go hungry? Don't think that. The world ain't got to be hungry. 
The world goes hungry because the almighty dollar makes the world hungry. It's all about profit. It's not about the desire to feed. The ability to feed is there. But it's all about economies and what makes the economy work and who gets rich and how they get rich. What did God say? Don't abuse the poor. You think, honestly, that a country like ours, as great as our country, that honestly has the ability, probably in and of itself, to, to if systems were worked out properly, I'm not saying everybody ought to have to cover it on their own, but there's the resources in this country to feed them. How many of them are starving today? Whose account does that go on? I don't know. We don't like to think about stuff like that, huh? But God says, you honor the poor. Think about that stuff. There's not a night goes by. I don't put half a plate of food. It ends up getting thrown away. Look at me. Do I look like I'm starving? No, bro. (laughs) Tonight, man, I had a bunch of turkey. It was good. What's what's that lay out for us? I think there's a responsibility, is what I'm saying. There's a responsibility. And the Lord said he placed government on earth to take that responsibility. And that's the purpose of government, to protect his people and to take responsibility for those issues. Unfortunately, that's not been the case. And folks, the bottom line is it won't never be the case. Until Jesus rules and reigns. When Jesus rules and reigns, there will not be another hungry mouth. And I guarantee you, by the time of the end of the millennial reign of Christ, there will be more people on earth than there are now. And they'll all be fed. They'll all have everything that they need. Because that's the way the Lord is. Verse 35, You shall do no injustice in judgment. In measurement of length, weight, or volume. Over and over again, God says he hates bad scales. They would bring these scales, they'd be weighted scales already. And they'd put this guy, well, I'm going to pay you this much weight of silver or whatever, this much weight of shekels for your whatever. What's the measurement of wheat? Court? Bushel. Bushel fit in a scale? No, it won't. It's a big scale. The idea is, behind it all, is that they were cheating. They were cheating one another to make money. Cheating one another to get over on someone else. God says you, 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 you measure the pure measurement. You work a 40-hour week, it ought to be a 40-hour week of work. You work uh, uh, anything other than that, then it, whatever time belongs to your employer, it's his time. So God says, measure it out to the full. All the way through. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way every believer ought to be. That, that ultimate best example. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Now we're supposed to do 20 tonight too. I'm not going to do it. Had you worried, huh? You weren't worried? Kathy was worried. Um, We'll catch 20 next time. 20, it's interesting because as we get to to chapter 20, he's going to continue expounding for us on the Ten Commandments. Chapter 20 deals with the death penalty. Here's something I want you to think about this week till we come back next. Israel had no prisons. None. Not one. God's system didn't require one. God's system didn't require one. So when we take a look at that, we'll take a look at that next week. But as we look, keep in mind, as we go through, yes, the specific context of these chapters deals with a people that are going into a land stained with all this stuff. Does it have application to us today? Sure. It speaks to the same Thing that God wants of us. First Peter chapter 1. Be holy as I am holy.
set apart from the world, set apart unto me. Focus unto the Lord. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. We thank you for the truth, God, of, of the book of Leviticus. Lord, we thank you that, Father, all throughout your scripture, you speak to us. All throughout the scripture, you teach us, you call us, Lord God, to step out from among those and be clear that our color would be plain, that we were not ashamed of you. Because you're not ashamed to be called by my name. I should not be ashamed to be called by yours. To be numbered among your people. That the banner that I carry would be clear for all to see. And if they want to call that banner a terrorist, then call it what you will. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And I believe that God's word should dictate my life still today. That it should guide me. That in the word of God, it contains all truth to lead me in paths of righteousness. Lord, I believe. And I want my colors to be clear. So that I don't just look like everybody else. And I don't just do what everybody else does because everybody else does it that way. Because that's the trap that destroyed the nation of Israel on more than one occasion. So may we, your church, learn not to be lukewarm, but to choose to burn for you. For just like that burning bush that was standing before Moses, the bush was not consumed. The fire was God. For our God is an all-consuming fire. So, Lord, burn us, each of us, to be your burning bush, a light to the world, not consumed by you, not burned out, not destroyed, Father, because the energy, the power, the strength, it all comes from you. We're just a willing vessel. Crackpots. Filled with the treasure of your grace and mercy. Lord God, may we spread that to all who will hear. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask, Lord God, that you would be sanctified in us. That we would make the choice to be sanctified unto you. And ultimately, God, that you would do that perfect work in us. Conforming us into the image of your Son. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.